0: Hello and bienvenido, San Antonio. Welcome to the Alamo Hour, discussing the people, places, and passion that make our city. My name is Justin Hill, a local attorney, a proud San Antonian, and keeper of chickens and bees. On the Alamo Hour, you'll get to hear from the people that make San Antonio great and unique and the best kept secret in Texas. We're glad that you're here. All right, welcome to the Alamo Hour. Today's guest is Dr. Casey Howard. Uh, Dr. Howard's one of my close friends and has been for a long time. She's a clinical psychologist who owns and runs ANOVA recovery center. She's an author of Strength for the Journey, helping you bulk up emotionally, mentally, and spiritually for the journey of life. She's a mom. She's a volunteer. She raises money, blah, blah. I mean, she's everything. Uh, she's joining us today. I think, you know, no time is better than right now to talk about handling the mental stress and strain of what's going on right now. Thank you for being here, Dr. Howard. Thank you. Thank um, we're going to start, give a little background to who you are, a little color on who you are. Uh, do you have any pets?
1: I do. I have a three-legged dog named Lucy.
0: Um, okay, I'm going to leave that there. But what, <laughs> But what? did you name it, Lucy? I did. Okay.
1: She's Lucy LaHua. Okay. LaHua is a flower that <laughs> grows in. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you about the LaHua flower. I, flowers. I, I like that you okay. didn't name yeah. her
0: something, you know. Calling out her her, tri- her issue. Yeah. No, yeah. you
1: know we're all about acceptance. Yeah, in in our household.
0: All right. um Favorite restaurant to eat at right now, currently.
1: Oh, I've actually been cooking a lot. I stocked up on food, and now I feel like I need to eat. Do you it have
0: all. your food handlers license?
1: I, no. <laughs> then you don't run a restaurant. What's your favorite
0: place <laughs> in town currently?
1: Um. Oh my gosh, I love sushi. Um, so I'm a big fan of, um, Tsushima on Hill in okay. 1604. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have half price sushi Monday through Wednesday, four to six, like their entire menu half off, including sake and wine.
0: It's a little far for me, but I have been, it's great.
1: Yeah. Worth the drive.
0: Okay. Uh, hidden gem in San Antonio. I always say that, you know, you got your visitor who's never been here, Alamo and all those things, but right. you've got the guy and they're like, tell me what the PhD visitor tour is. What is your hidden gem in San Antonio that you tell your friends, y'all have got to go see this.
1: I actually love the mission trail, like yeah. biking the mission trail. That's yeah, great. End at blue star, have a beer, like super fun. Have way Have you to done spend the spend kayak version of it? <gasps> I have not.
0: Yeah. The shoots look, I, I haven't either. So it's embarrassing. Um, we're going to get into it more, but quick one oh one on your job and what you're most involved with outside of your professional career.
1: I am a psychologist. I own a, re- a trauma and PTSD treatment center, and I'm most involved with the Alzheimer's o- Association, and I recently started my own charity as well.
0: Okay, and currently, are you the chair of... I'm
1: the chair okay. of, well, the chair of the 2020 Alzheimer's Gala, which sadly... COVID-19 has canceled out. So, we're currently regrouping. Well, that
0: doesn't take away from your commitment.
1: It does not. No, no definitely still devoted to the cause.
0: Okay. Any odd hobbies? Oh. I mean, the one thing I think is most odd about you yeah. is you like to go take a 7-mile run when it's 110 degrees outside I and you do. find that refreshing.
1: I love running in the heat. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Um I'm also really crafty. My goal for this quarantine season, I bought a wine bottle candle making kit. And so I'm going to take all those wine bottles I've been drinking and turn them into candles.
0: Where you like uh, shave the top off of them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How do you do that? Do you do the string that you see on Facebook? No.
1: Well, I say I bought this thing that you put on a razor blade and it cuts the bottle around, but I haven't quite been able to get that to work yet. So I may go for the acetone string.
0: Okay. Well, tell me if it works like Facebook says. Um, well, that brings to the next. What is your best or favorite shelter in place activity? You're currently living almost in a commune, so I assume you'll have some good ideas. <laughs> I
1: am. We do. Well, the other night we had a karaoke and dance party in the kitchen. So I would say that's definitely my way to, to shelter in place. Okay.
0: And you're living in a commune because somehow or another, you and another family are having your homes renovated. And so y'all decided to cohabitate.
1: We have, yes. Bunch of kids. Yes. Lots of kids.
0: (laughs) You better have a good answer to this because I've had some poor answers so far. Um, some good, but some poor. I had a mullet as a kid. It was a stupid trend we did. I was, you know, a kid. What was the dumb trend you followed when you were younger?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, I had a perm, which I have super thick hair. That was a big, big, big mistake. Um, I also thought that it was my favorite thing uh, as a kid was to bring out colors, quote unquote. So I remember I had this shirt that was neon pink and it had six little crayons across the top. And I decided I should take one of those crayon colors and wear like leggings to bring out. The purple in huh. the shirt, so you looked so, like a crayon. Yeah, basically, okay. that was you know. You know
0: who also said the terrible trend they followed was a perm? Uh-huh. Tim Maloney. <laughs>
1: well, you know, Tim and I share the same hairdresser, so
0: Tim has no hair now.
1: <laughs> that's that's why you shouldn't get. Do you all
0: actually have the same hairdresser? No, because he goes, I think, every week to get his hair done.
1: The one hair that's left. I don't
0: know. <laughs> I think he just enjoys like the relaxation of it.
1: You know, my 12 year old son is like, Mom, can I go back and let them shampoo and massage my head? Because it feels great. <laughs> it does.
0: All right. Uh, what year did you move to San Antonio? 2010. What's your favorite fiesta event?
1: I love the Pooch Parade.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Morning, early. Yeah. So if you've been fiesting too hard, it's sometimes hard to make it.
1: That's right. But it's all for the love of the game. You got to get up and do it.
0: Don't, don't. Don't I got the game for fiesta. (laughs) I think we all know that. Okay. So in the world of psychology, every one of us who took psychology in in college realized there's all these different branches and arms. And even from the the perspective of how you treat, there's multiple different, what is the specific area or focus of psychology? Would you consider yourself to either be a disciple or that is the type of treatment you like to provide? What's your sort of area?
1: PTSD and trauma.
0: Okay. Um, when you and I met, you worked with uh, an eating disorder clinic, and since then, you still do a lot of that. But you also do a lot of PTSD as it re- relates to military veterans.
1: I do, and females who have had abuse. Okay. So right. let me. My previous training, um, I had about ten years of training in eating disorders, and then over the last six years, I've regrouped um, and respecialized in PTSD and trauma.
0: And and we've sort of talked off the record, obviously. But I think you said that a lot of the eating disorder clients were people that were there really for trauma-related issues usually.
1: And that was what honestly led me to re-specialize is as I worked in an eating disorder clinic, we would say to people, okay, well, when you leave here, you're going to go home and do your trauma work um, in the outpatient world, in the community. And then I left the, I left working there and I started my own practice and I was in the community and I went, oh my gosh, there's no one to help these people do trauma work. And so that really led me to respecialize um, in trauma so that I could provide that.
0: Well, good for you. Why, thank you. I mean, it's, I, I can't tell you how many clients I've had come in who tell me how hard it is to find either or either the specialist that they need, or just anybody with capacity to see them. So to have somebody more out there who's got a broader you know range of, of treatment, it's great for the city.
1: Absolutely, it. I will tell you, I, I do see a lot of veterans. I do a lot of evaluations, um, and. As I meet them, they a lot of people have no idea that there's actually really good treatments for PTSD. Um, and it just hurts my heart because as I start to explain that, look, we have known therapies like EMDR, CPT, these different types of things that actually work. So we can get rid of your nightmares. We can stop your flashbacks. Some of them will start to cry in my office and say, why hasn't anybody ever told me this? Right. So
0: um, it, it sort of strikes me kind of like in, in our world... Nobody took concussions seriously, and then there was really nothing to do, but because of the NFL, I mean, that science is moving quickly, diagnostics have changed, treatments change. and it seems like I think they said in Vietnam the, like, signature injury was I think amputations, mm-hmm. and then the signature injury maybe in, in the most recent complex has really been a lot of trauma, psychological as well as traumatic brain injuries. And that seems to be sort of moving the science forward and, and really opening up a lot of, you know, therapeutic advances that we didn't have before. I mean, they're testing LSD and all kinds of things to treat PTSD that all seem pretty promising.
1: Absolutely. I had um, one veteran come in and say, uh, he was a Vietnam veteran, and he said when he got back, he would scream in the night in his sleep. And his dad was a World War One veteran. And he just came in one night, handed him his pistol and said, sleep with this under your pillow. It makes you feel better. And that was kind of our approach, sure. right? Um, I feel like until recent years, when people have really started doing research um, and really looking at what these guys are going through whenever they come back.
0: I had sort of a surrogate grandpa who was a neighbor who caught me taking apples off his, I mean, it sounds so stupid, but really, really became the the closest thing to me as sort of a grandpa figure as a young kid. And they called it the demons. He had the demons. He was in World War II. He's a belly gunner. Those were one of the first people to die. I never knew until I became an adult that he had a massive alcohol problem. And he'd pick me up Saturday, and we'd clean his car. And Sunday, we'd go run errands. And I was just, I was like his grandson. He didn't have one. But as he got older and got sicker, his wife told me that's why I always had to go home at 5 o'clock, because 5 o'clock is when he started drinking. I mean, it was just eye-opening. As a kid, he was the nicest man, but he had these real demons he was dealing with. And back then, that's how they dealt. They drank.
1: He didn't have, well, unfortunately, it's still a lot of how people deal with, because they just, they don't have another way to cope.
0: But they, and they definitely wish they did. Absolutely. They
1: want a better way.
0: So we're talking about, um, we're going to talk about COVID. It's the, it's the, it's the elephant in the room. It's, it's what is literally just a consuming everybody now and rightfully so, and just you know, my perspective, Lindsay, um, the other day walked out to talk to Juan, who helps me around the house on occasion. And she said, she said hello, and then just started sobbing. And she said it was because it was really kind of the first time she had talked to another human in six days. And you don't really think about that. But it starts this stir crazy and cabin fever really starts to take, you know, take, take its toll on you. And I was looking at some data before we got started today. And China, who dealt with this first, did some research and it said almost half of the population is dealing with real serious anxiety issues as it results, as what could result from COVID, specifically financially, whether they'll get sick, whether their family will get sick, whether they'll lose their job. Talk to me about how these sort of environmental or societal anxieties can come to really overtake our day-to-day lives.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think the best way to look at anxiety is to really look at your bandwidth. And so if you can just pretend that your brain, your human capacity as an individual, it's sort of like a computer, right? Um, And we'll say it's more like a 1995 computer that has a little less hard drive space on it, um, actively functioning than, than maybe a modern day computer. And so we have a certain amount of things that we've filled our life with that probably max out our capacity at the moment. So we can deal with our children. We can deal with our spouse. We can deal with maybe our aging parents, whatever we're at with that. We can deal with work. We can deal with some day to as the water heater breaks. Like we've got this average baseline capacity to deal with things. And then now we've taken this pandemic which is unlike anything that any our generation has ever had to deal with and we've added that on top of the bandwidth. So now in addition for to remembering that you know you need to put the dishes in the dishwasher and all of the things you need to do on a daily basis, if you go out in public now you need to remember things you never had to think about before. Like, hey, don't touch your face. Remember to wipe down the car before you, you know, use hand sanitizer when you get in the car. Keep six
0: feet distance between you and everybody else. Exactly.
1: You know, don't go down a crowded aisle if you have to go somewhere. Or, you know, meal planning. I personally, I'm a fairly intelligent person, I think. And yet my general habit, I buy groceries several times a week because I'm not good at planning ahead sure. with meals. So then going to the store a couple weeks ago and going, okay, I'm going to forecast if I was going to stock up for a few weeks, what would I need? I couldn't even tell. I came home with like Rotel tomatoes and tomato paste and that's like all that was left. some quinoa. Well, that too, right? <laughs> and I was like, I guess I'll do something with this. But Now we've had to deal with that, right? So in addition to all of that, and then plus you add the financial stressors and the how long is this going to end? And now if you have children, now you're a homeschool teacher. And so the average person's bandwidth has now been multiplied, you know, two, three, four times depending on how many kids and their financial situation and all of that.
0: Yeah, I was looking at uh, NAMI. NAMI is sort Mm -hmm. of the mental health main group. I mean, it's fair to say kind of the main Mm -hmm. nonprofit trade association in, in, in America. Yeah. And they sort of talked about they have all of them have resources for COVID right now because they know and and they sort of walked through and said the anxiety associated with what's next. Right. Um, the the people that are prone to obsession, the obsessive hand washing or avoidance, um, loneliness. I mean, that's what we're dealing with at our house. I mean, you know, look, Lindsay's pregnant, and she does not want to get exposed, which I get. And then sort of the last thing, which I hadn't even thought about, is they talk about um, the sort of stress of, or traumatic stress that would be associated with if you're quarantined. I mean, maybe you don't have it, but you know somebody that did, so all of a sudden you're stuck on a 14-day quarantine where you're in your house and not even supposed to talk to your family members. I mean, that can lead to real traumatic stress. And I mean, are we dealing with anything that we really have any sort of... um, comparable component to? I mean, is this all brand new?
1: Absolutely. This is all brand new. And I think that the classic answer, you know, for for us as, as business owners, right. And for, for me trying to decide, okay, at what point were we going to shut down our clinic? Um, and we're a clinic that's by the way, been telehealth since 2016. So we were one of the first people, or we were the first people in the state and one of the first in the country to start an extensive telehealth mental health program. And so we have, we already have that capacity and yet making the call for when I was going to say, okay, we're not going to have patients in the office anymore. I don't even know at what to base that information on, right? Like at what point are you saying, okay, someone's you know, mental health and betterment this way versus the safety of the office and, and the safety of the individual patients. Um, and so we are trying to make these complex decisions based on something that we really have no idea about. We have no precedent for, and we don't even know forecasting how long this is going to last and what it's going to look like. So it really is a lot of guessing. Had
0: an article today and it was kind of the force, the four timelines for overcoming this pandemic. And it was like the one to two month shutdown. And it was like, all experts agree, this is too ambitious. And really then it said the four to eight month, or if we're, if the virus gets worse or mutates, then we're looking at 12 to 18 months to have a real workable vaccine. People can't last that long. In this current situation. Right. Let's sort of take this in turn. And I am in no way um, smart or good about dealing with these things. I just, from the business owner standpoint, I have employees and I told them, y'all won't lose your job. That's one thing I can take off their plate. Y'all aren't, y'all aren't going anywhere. I said, look, we have six months, six months. I'm going to stick by you at the end of six months. We're going to have to have a real honest conversation. And I hope to never have to do that. But I wanted to take that stress off their plate. What is some of your advice uh, for, for listeners about how to help others deal with their stress, how they can sort of provide a crutch or take one of those stressors off their plates?
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the hardest things to know is what I need may be completely different than what you need. Um, Because maybe my biggest concern is finances and maybe your biggest concern is loneliness. And so, and you never know, right? Somebody else, maybe my biggest concern is probably how am I going to cook for six months? Because I really (laughs) don't know how to do that. Um, And so everybody has truly a different set of needs that they're coming from. And so I think the number one thing we can do is to ask somebody, Hey, what is your biggest concern in this? Is your, I'm to be Frank, whether this is ignorant or not, my biggest personal concern is not, am I going to get the virus? I feel like I'm quarantining. I'm doing that sort of thing. My biggest concern is how am I going to take care of my employees? How are, you know, the long-term effects? How am I going to make sure I have enough supplies to keep my family safe and so that we can prevent ourselves from getting it, right? I have friends who are scared to death that, you know, what my best friend says, it's not a matter of if for me, it's a matter of when she has a very deficient immune system. So I think if we can ask somebody, what is your biggest concern? And for some of us, that's a need we can meet, right? If right. your biggest concern is how are you going to get groceries tomorrow? Maybe somebody can help with that. If your biggest concern is loneliness, maybe I can offer to FaceTime with you. Maybe I can, you know offer to, to do a, a, a drive by wave kind of thing. So you get to see a friendly human face. I think we really need to be talking during this time and, and trying to feel out each other's needs. I mean, that's of some of the
0: assuming. stress at our household is we can't isolate. So we can smartly like talk to our neighbor over the fence and have that human interaction at least, but we don't have to completely shut our doors and never talk to another person. I mean, I haven't really learned how to FaceTime, but I know that's a great thing as well. (laughs) But the idea is to not, whether it's a phone call or a FaceTime or talking through a fence, I mean, there's, there are ways to have interaction and we have all this downtime now. We should be interacting, right?
1: Absolutely. And, and be aware of those who aren't right. So for example, your elderly folks that are really not leaving the house probably ever at this point, call them, call your grandma, (laughs) call your grandma, call your mom, find out how they're doing. Just keep them company. Offer to, you know, do trivia over the phone. The, a 30-minute phone call can really be life-changing for somebody who's really just trapped in a house alone
0: sure. all day. Um, let's talk about how we take care of ourselves. Let's talk about how we take care of us. And let's take this in turn. I mean, what we know is the, the NAMI and CDC even and these studies show, let's, let's talk first with anxiety. What is your advice for whether exercises or mindfulness or whatever the answer is, but what are some ways that people can cope with the anxiety for whatever reason that is? I mean, are are there methods people can employ sitting at home on their couch while they're isolated to help them with their anxiety?
1: Absolutely. Um, So one of the first things, you know, we, we talked about the biggest issue with this is now people, basically their bandwidth is overwhelmed from what they can take in. Right. So we need to find a way to create bandwidth for ourselves. And so if we can, first of all, you got to learn to let things go. Guess what? If you are, if you are a parent stressed out about homeschooling your kids right now, which I think most of us are, if you're in that situation, I am not a math teacher. Um, you know what? Your kids are going to be fine. If, if they miss a couple of months of school, guess what? They're going to be okay. Have them sit down and read a book and it's not the end of the world. If you can do it great, but if you can't, that's okay. We're going to, we're going to let that go. We're going to just do our best because you aren't actually a teacher. Um, Give yourself some grace. When we set these unrealistic expectations for ourselves that now we're going to be, you know, teacher, parent, employee, everything else that we're doing, then we set up a cycle of failure. And then when we don't meet those expectations, then we feel like junk about ourselves. And then that prevents us from being able to have the confidence to try to do the next thing. And we just work ourselves into a deeper spiral. So we've gotta be able to give ourselves some grace and realize it's okay to be nervous. Nobody knows what's gonna happen next. So it's okay if you're not prepared for it, slash you don't know how to prepare for it. You can, lots of places, you know, our clinic is doing telehealth. I've been um, doing conference calls and trainings with lots of therapists around the country on how to set up telehealth for their own clinics. I promise you, there are lots of therapists out there who are more than willing to see you via telehealth if you really feel like it's bad. Places are offering free yoga. Um, there's meditation apps like on YouTube. They're really- I do Calm. Calm. Absolutely. Yeah. Calm is a great one. I do Breathe on my phone yeah. and all it does is it helps you, I mean, the Apple Watches do it now, um, but I was old school and did it before then, <laughs> so, but- breathing, deep breathing. We on average only use about 10% of our lung capacity. So if you will just pause and take a very deep breath, you will be amazed at this impact that that has. There are a lot of things that you can do from home in this day and age to really help you manage your anxiety.
0: Okay. Um, calm or mindfulness apps are some of those.
1: Absolutely. <clears throat>
0: um, what, what else did you just say? Yoga. Yoga. I think the union maybe is Mm -hmm. doing it. There's a few groups in San Antonio that are doing, I mean, Lindsay's been doing the video yoga and Pilates with the union. Right. I don't know if it's charged. I don't remember (laughs) if it's charged or not. Um, Let's talk about sort of some of the more traumatic anxieties. Mm -hmm. You have to see people who come in and really their big issue in life at the moment is they lose their job, which is happening right now. Um, outside of sort of the financial assistance programs that are started, or some of those that's really in your expertise, how do you talk to people about um, overcoming those moments? Because it's a moment. This isn't going to last forever. It's a bad moment, though. What, what is your advice for those people about overcoming these moments?
1: Um, one of the biggest issues that we have is we as human beings tend to catastrophize, right? Um, so whenever we in our brains tend to do this like kind of monkey spiral down the road, right? So all of a sudden now I've lost my job, which is a very real concern. I mean it we are super blessed that a lot of our therapists can work from home. I am well aware of the fact that there are a lot of industries that are simply stalled yep. right now. Um, and so that's a very real concern. I think that the tendency is to 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 catastrophize and go, okay. I don't have my job. That means I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage. That means I'm going to be homeless. That means my family's going to be out on the street. That means we're all going to get Corona. That means we're not going to have insurance. That means we can't go to a hospital. I mean, that's probably a pretty real thought cycle for a lot of people right now. So I think we have to stop before we get there um, and realize that most of the country is really in the same boat. And so the the kind of catch 22 of all this, it's difficult versus maybe a hurricane where we have one region affected and other people can kind of flood in and help and you can go to your aunt's house and be fine and find respite. The Whereas there's a downside to that with this, the upside is, we as a world population are all in this together. And so if you can't pay your mortgage, then you gotta know there's a lot of people out there who can't too. And so there's going to be exceptions. There's gonna be things that we can do to make that better. Um, And so stopping yourself from getting six months down the road, you know, ending in the ultimate, like the world explodes and everybody dies kind of thing, right? right? Do thought stopping and go, here's what I can do today. Make a list of the actual things you can control today. Today I can feed my family. Today, even if it's peanut butter and jelly, guess what? Unless you're allergic, no one has ever died from eating peanut butter and jelly for every meal. Like that, that's okay. You're doing the best you can. And one day your kids are gonna look back, you're gonna look back and say, you know what, that was kind of a sweet season. Um So be able to give yourself grace in that, control what you can today. Feed your family, get some sleep, do what you can today, and then we're going to take tomorrow as it comes. And if rent is due tomorrow, okay, well, then that's the day we're going to deal with that, right? There's not a lot you can do about planning for how you're going to handle this in October.
0: All right. Um, We've talked about sort of the anxiety side of it. We've talked about sort of the loneliness side of it. Another one of the things that NAMI put out that, that they're seeing or they're preparing for are the people that maybe have some obsessive, you know, tendencies and they specifically say, you know, the people that are obsessive about hand washing or avoiding people or really taking the recommendations to an extent that is going to cause them health issues at the end of the day. How do you deal with, uh, people who have these obsessive tendencies and maybe they're not OCD, maybe they're not medicated, but this is the thing that has made them all of a sudden sort of cross that barrier from, they wash their hands fairly a lot to, Oh, now it's a, now it's almost become an obsession.
1: Absolutely. I know people who honestly, their hands are raw at this point from so much hand washing and so much using bleach to wipe down counters. So it really is. It's a very, it's a very real and legit concern. Um, And I would say, first of all, wear gloves, right? Like there's some practical things. And, and really like, I mean, we, we kind of laugh that that's a little like, you know, kind of almost like a jokingly common sense thing, but it's that kind of stuff, right? That, Right now, if we talk realistic expectations, maybe the realistic expectation is not that we're going to make someone with OCD or borderline OCD or whatever feel completely comfortable in this situation, so they stop doing that. Maybe that's not entirely realistic for this week, but maybe we can look at preventative measures. So maybe we look at, okay, wear gloves. How can we keep you a little bit safer, right? Can you ask somebody else to wipe down the counters? Can you do this kind of thing, right? Um and then I think otherwise we have to fact check. That's one of the the best things that we can do is really the odds of getting this and and I don't want to counteract anything out there. I think people are wise to stay in to be avoidant. But at this point, we're in a city of one point five million people. And what is it as of today? Three hundred? I
0: don't even know people if it's
1: that have high. it I, I don't even know yeah. if it is. So realistically, the odds of getting it if you are being relatively safe are are pretty low right now.
0: Maybe the better way to put it would be the odds of getting a really um bad version of right. it. Right. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And and again I say there because it's a both end, right? We want to balance We want you to be healthy. We want you to be safe. We want people to stay home, right? Mm -hmm. We're not taking risks. We're not minimizing that in any way. However, we also want you to be mentally healthy. And there's a lot of people who live with such high anxiety, as you said, on a general rule that something like this, now they're completely, whether they get the virus or not. Now their mental health has completely gone down. And so that's what we don't want. So we do want to do a little bit of balancing while for the average person, maybe they do need the more severe kind of warning for somebody with OCD who's already catastrophizing. We need to help bring them back to the middle a little bit and say, okay, how can we keep you mentally healthy while preserving you and your family's physical health?
0: And I think this is kind of segues into the next topic of how stress affects people. And One of the things in San Antonio, apparently, it affects people in their worry of running out of toilet paper. So what (laughs) what on earth is going on with this sort of mentality? Look, there's a line out of Nagel's Gun Shop, 50 people long, as of 10 days ago. What... I assume this goes back to catastrophizing, but what is sort of the mental process that goes on that makes people sort of go into this doomsday mentality?
1: Absolutely. So there's there's actually a lot of research out there on something called the psychology of scarcity, um, and there's a couple things that go on. For one, we all have this fear of not having enough, right? So in this, we fear we're not going to have enough toilet paper. We're not going to have milk. We're not going to have enough eggs. We're not going to have enough food. So we are hoarding we are stocking up right so there's that actual fear there's fear of scarcity relationships there's fear of all different kinds of scarcity and what that does is it prevents you from good decision making so now all of a sudden instead of just thinking okay that you know being able to plan ahead reasonably now we're not able to make those good decisions um there's actually some super interesting research out there when when you look at scarcity so for example um in terms of when there's not enough, right? So part of the problem now that we have is we've created this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So people were afraid that we weren't going to have enough toilet paper. So now everybody's gone out and bought toilet paper. And so now we actually don't have enough toilet paper, right? So we have created our own issue. Um, My favorite example of this was the great, Texas gas shortage, non shortage (laughs) after
0: Harvey. Isn't that when that was It was sort of that strange run on gas? It
1: was. So all of a sudden there, if you're not in Texas, then I think this was the main place that it, it came to be. Then there was this huge thing that went around that because of hurricane Harvey, they weren't going to be able to get gas from Houston and from the ports. And so everybody needed to go fill up and our gas stations are not equipped for the entire city to fill up in one day. Right. So people ran out. So then gas stations really were out of gas. And so then people became afraid, oh my gosh, they're out of gas. I'm not gonna be able to get enough gas. So then you would literally have miles down the street of cars lined up to get gas. (laughs) And people were, and then because people were afraid, they were filling up, you know, 100 gallon containers of gasoline That's going to go bad to be able to take. So I
0: don't know what the shelf life is on gasoline.
1: I know. It's not great, I don't think. It's like a few months. And so we really, we created a scarcity out of the fear of scarcity. And that's exactly what we did with toilet paper. There was plenty of toilet paper. But because people get this fear of not having enough, then panic drives us. To what's really poor decision making, um, that then has a trickle down effect. To and it's just group
0: think at that point, right? Absolutely. If you think, if you think there's a run on toilet paper, well, I think there's a run on toilet paper. I mean, even in my own brain, I was thinking, well, I don't think there is, but if there's gonna be, I might as well get some, you know,
1: and that that was my thought as <laughs> well. Right. Again, I told you I'm somebody who buys groceries a couple times a week. Right. And all of a sudden I had this thought with like, well, crap. If everybody else is doing this, there's not going to be enough. Right. Exactly. Now there's not going to be enough for me. And so I should go and like get some. Um, and unfortunately I had that thought a little late on the toilet paper situation, but rational
0: thinking (laughs) people all of a sudden become irrational as well.
1: Exactly. There's, and there's some cool psychological research. Um, if I can nerd out, psychologically for a minute, um, out there, they've done on research on testing people's cognitive abilities and cognitive reasoning, reasoning in the face of scarcity. Um, so they've done it in a lot of situations with, you know, testing like groups of people who have more money, people who don't and how they make financial decision-making things like that. Um, and you can argue about the inequalities there. They did a great study. If you look at, um, farmers who had a harvest right so they look at farmers um, in a certain country who right after harvest they're very wealthy at that point right so their decision they measured their cognitive abilities and their decision making abilities based based on different kind of scenarios right after harvest that's the only time they get paid all year so then right before Mm. harvest they are then really what the poorest they will be all year They measured their decision-making abilities at that point, and they were a full 10 points lower, all the way around the board, the exact same individuals. And so I feel like, again, it's the same thing with, you know, our decision-making abilities when we think HEB is fully stocked and we can have everything we need. We make wise decisions about how we're spending our money and what we're going to buy and how much we need. When there's nothing at ATB and now we don't know what we're gonna do, we're making very impulsive decisions and we're buying ten cans of Rotel tomatoes that we don't know what to do with.
0: I mean, luckily we live in a country though where there's there's still an abundance. There might not be an abundance of toilet paper, but there's I mean, there's still an abundance, even when the shelves are kinda empty to make sure everybody gets fed. It's I mean, we're lucky in that in that in that respect regard.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I, and I read a great article in Texas monthly this month. I don't know if you've seen it yet that HEB has been prepared for this in January. Yeah, it's a great
0: article. Yeah, yeah.
1: When, when the first case came out, then they already had their team ready to go and their warehouses were full and they basically knew this was coming. And so they've overstocked for it.
0: Yeah. Um, I, w- I want to sort of change gears a little bit and talk to you about a few things. You wrote a book. Um, Tell me about the book.
1: Yeah. Um it's called Strength for the Journey. And I always say it's a lot of psychology, um, a decent amount of me and a little bit of uh my faith I'm kind of mixed in there. And the really the it's it's free therapy. Yeah. So, or the, the price of the book, whatever, like nine ninety-nine on Amazon therapy. Um, but really it's about, you know, how do you overcome anxiety and depression? to um, find your purpose. I truly believe um based on over a decade of working with clients and based on my own personal experience that most people really start to struggle when they start to think they don't have a purpose anymore. When they start to think I don't have anything to offer the world at this moment. And so my goal with that book is to really help people realize no matter what situation you're in, if you're quarantined and locked up with Corona or if you're, you know, divorced 12 times and whatever the situation you still have a purpose, there's still meaning in this life for you, and how can you push past your own feelings of inadequacy and your own anxieties to be able to realize that purpose?
0: And you and I have been friends for a long time, and and one thing that's very grounding and important to you, and I would almost say it's maybe the most defining characteristic of you, uh, to the extent I know you, uh, is your faith. Absolutely. Um, you and I, differ on that a little bit. Not that mm-hmm. I have no faith, but we, you know, I don't lean heavily on that the same way some people do. And I'm, a, I'm jealous of it. Honestly, it provides you a comfort level that, that I haven't been able to understand or feel. Talk about how your faith helps you overcome situations like what we're dealing with today, where so many people, and and maybe you on occasion, evenly feel, feel kind of helpless and feel like your actions maybe leads to some of your employees losing jobs or maybe leads to a bad effect on somebody else. I mean, it's a tough time. How does your faith help guide you in these moments?
1: Uh, Absolutely. Um, it's, you know, I, I, it's different. I will say having employees and being a business owner than if I was just on my own, um, and being a mom than if I was just on my own, because there's a lot of people affected by the decisions that I make. Um, so I do everything very prayerfully. Um, I, you know, I, I love those memes like, yeah, Jesus will protect me. Yes, Karen, but wash your hands too. Right. <laughs> so, like, I'm very common sense about this. Like we don't need to push the limits. Um, but I do, I, I truly, I believe in beauty for ashes. I believe that there is some good to come from all things. Uh, and so I think that there is a lot of good that can come from this and, and that's not being naive. I'm aware of the fact that people can't pay their bills. One of the biggest Hurts on my heart to be a little tangential is kids that are being abused at home. So they used to have a respite when they went to school and they used to be able to maybe go play at a friend's house for a little bit. And now they're trapped at home with an abusive individual who's also extremely stressed out. And so, and we don't have CPS workers that are out right now and necessarily investigating all of those cases and being able to do that, right? We don't have teachers that are able to report bruises and marks on kids. And so, my, really the cry of my heart is there's a lot of children who are hurting right now. So I'm not blind to all of that. Um, but I am actively just praying that that gets exposed and and really just trusting in God to, to try to protect those children, to try to make a way for that to be exposed um, and believing on the flip side that excluded that... There is a lot of good, you know, I I was scrolling through Facebook last night, probably too much, like I always do, (laughs) like so many of us. And I just one of a thousand posts like these that I've seen, but a friend posted, you know, a picture of he and his wife, like dancing on the porch, right? Little like Corona happy hour date night um, in their pajamas. And there's a lot of, you know, we, how many of us have ever said, I wish we could just pause life for a second. And for a lot of us, Life has essentially paused, right? So we get a chance right now. One of my the most memorable things I remember from like high school English, um, the play Our Town. She says in there, if uh, that she's you know the girl's dead and she comes back and she's watching her family interact as, as she's come back from the dead and she's in the little scene and she says oh my gosh look at you you're all walking past each other like you're scenery you know as you're rushing out the door to go to school and you're rushing out the door to go to work you're all just scenery in each other's lives right now and I think we have the gift during this season of having a pause button that we're not just scenery anymore. We're not just passing by our family members as we're rushing off to the next thing. We actually get to we actually get to embrace each other and to have happy hours on the patio and to have game nights with our kids and to have movie nights with our significant other.
0: Remember that when you're trying to explain math to...
1: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? No, I'm in the, you'll figure this out later, kid. <laughs> Go read another book.
0: <laughs> no, I think that's fair. I mean, I think I saw somebody post on social media that, I will never take for granted um, going to work ever again. But the same way, they're like, but I also hope I'm not taking for granted this moment right now. I mean, it's stressful, but there is this weird window to spend time with people where you don't have tomorrow breathing down your neck. Not because we're going to die, but because we know we're not going to work tomorrow. I mean, there's still limitations on what we can do. So we have the ability to to hang out with loved ones, family, friends, safely.
1: Absolutely. And you're not rushing off to baseball practice and you're not rushing off to that networking event and that gala, that meeting that you're not, you're just there.
0: Right. Um, we, we touched on faith and I want to go back to this a second. I see a lot of people post about how they're going to go to church and they're going to keep having these big congregations. Am I missing something here? I mean, this seems like a terribly bad idea.
1: <laughs> yes it is um, I I actually don't know of, of any churches that are that are still having church right now um, again, it's the yeah Jesus is gonna help you but wash your hands Karen like stay yeah, away from okay. each other stay yeah. home. So in our house today we streamed church live um, from our living room and you know had breakfast and our coffee and we all watched church together um, and it was actually really beautiful. it was a great opportunity. It's unique. It it is. It's it's what the church was meant to be in my opinion. It started out in homes and now we're actually bringing it back to homes.
0: Yeah. I mean, hopefully there will be a lot of silver linings that come out of this and hopefully everybody's bad turns turn right again. Um I think everybody agrees this is going to be short-lived, just hopefully the length of it doesn't make it longer than it needs to be. Right. Economically. Um NAMI, NAMI posted something that I thought was pretty interesting. And one of the things they were saying was, there's a few ways to cope, there's a few ways to deal, but there's also a few ways to limit what you put into your body in terms of what's going to cause stress. They talked about don't give yourself an information overload. And 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 at my house right now, CNN stays on or whatever news is on for about an hour and I'm told to change a channel because there's only so much of that you can take. I mean, after an amount of that, does it just not start to take a toll on somebody's psyche?
1: Absolutely. You know, it's been one of the most fascinating things to me um going, you know, into the office for a minute and talking to clients or talking to, you know, you have to run in the store and get food or whatever it is you have to do. Right. Um, and talking to people online and everything else, it's everybody's conversation 24 seven, even, you know, my conversation with my significant other and my family members, this is really all we're talking about. It's all that's on TV. It's all that you overhear anywhere you go. This is a, you are surrounded by it. And so while I am a firm believer and you need to educate yourself and be aware of the situation, absolutely. You need a break. Yeah. Um, and so be able to take that.
0: I mean, there was a huge tornado yesterday and I didn't see it at all on the news. It's just back to the death count. I mean, it's very grim, right. the news too. I mean, you're at least seeing some things float around of, Hey, here are some good facts that are coming out of this. But when right. you watch the news, I mean, there is a death counter on the right-hand side of the oh, news, yeah. keeping keeping you up to date on how many people are sick and how many people are dead.
1: It mean, is very grim. It, it is. Yeah. No, and it, it can be very disheartening to watch. Um, and so I think this is one of those, you have to know thyself, right? And so if you're one of those people who you tend to worry, you know, I always tell my sister, you're not allowed to go on WebMD. Like that's not a good place for, right. for yeah. her personality type. So know yourself. If, if you are somebody who tends to be that OCD. You tend to worry. You tend to be anxious anyways. You probably don't need to watch the news. If you were the personality type who thought it was still okay to go to spring break on the beach, then you should probably watch a little more of the news. So it's really a a know thyself kind of thing. And what are you personally able to take in and limit
0: yourself? That's what Nami's suggestion was pick one or two news sources Mm -hmm. and limit how much you bring in, like get caught up, move on. Next thing they said were find distractions. I mean, at, at my house, We've been gardening, we've been planning, moving plants around, splitting plants. It's been nice. It's been, you know, a good distraction, something that needs to get done anyway, but it's been a nice sort of break. I mean, are distractions a good way to sort of overcome the stress or at least avoid the anxiety that comes from the stress?
1: Absolutely. And you know, if I could give people one piece of advice, it would be kind of along those lines, right? Is... We're not looking, you know, we talked earlier about ways to cope, right? You can do telehealth, you can do yoga, you can, um, you know, call friends. There's a lot of things you can do to cope. And then the next level of coping is we really want to start to adapt. And so even though it's just for a brief time, then let's kind of say, okay, this is our new reality, right? We're home for for a month, two months, six months, we don't know, right? We're home for a X amount of time. And so what do I want to do in that time? You've always wanted to take guitar lessons. Fender's giving free guitar lessons for three months. You know, you've dreamed of going to the Louvre. All museums are doing free. I think for you it.
0: said you're going to learn to cook.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to bake a lot of fish sticks at my okay, house. Right. You know, you're delicious. <laughs> but I'm going to teach my son to cook. Yeah. But really, if you can take this time and instead of it being focused on scarcity, and loss and what you're not able to do and what's out there. If you can focus on, guess what? Now I have time to make that garden space that I've always wanted to have, that I'm going to have for years to enjoy. Now I have time to write that book that I've been talking about doing to start that podcast, to take those lessons.
0: This this is where the podcast came from. I finally had time.
1: Yes. I mean, seriously, there are truly, there are some beautiful things that can come from this as we have a literal pause button. But I really want to encourage people make a goal. Set something that you want to do so it's not just a vacuum of time, but that we're filling it with something that can help you gain mastery and feel fulfilled.
0: I think I have just, I must be the type of person that distraction just is the first coping mechanism Mm. because when all this stuff started, I immediately went into these other paths. I was going to get this podcast up and running. To me, it was this part of my life's on hold. And because courts are closed and offices are kind of closed. So I've always wanted to do these things. And so Mm -hmm. I just naturally went to it and it's been a nice way to not be stuck watching the news and terrible. The sky is falling. Another thing Nami talks about is that the unfortunate part of what everybody's going through now is, and you sort of touched on it is this stress is overwhelming for you, but, Your stress, you're going to bleed over onto your kids or to your spouse or to your coworkers, or some element of your life is going to be negatively affected if you let this stress overtake you. And I guess it's sort of maybe the best plan is to just, if people can be conscious of that, is that sort of one of the best ways to deal with it is to just know what can happen. I mean, education is key.
1: Absolutely. So this situation aside, um, I I don't get a lot of things right as a mom, but this is one I hope I get right. Um, I have always been somebody who says to my son, like, I'll come home. My son is very intuitive. So if I'm stressed, if I'm upset about something, he picks up on it. And people need to be aware that there are a lot of – whether maybe you're intuitive, maybe you're not, right? But if you're not intuitive, I promise you someone in your household is. And they pick up on those negative emotions. And the automatic default assumption of someone who is intuitive is if they don't know what it is, they kind of tend to assume that it's them, right? So if, I, if you and sure. I are in this room and I sense that you're like – being really cold, being distant, being irritable, automatically my default is it must be me, right? So one of the things that I do for my son and I've always done is if I'm really stressed and I know I am, I'll say, hey baby, you know what? I am really stressed right now. I just have a lot going on in my mind or I have a lot to do or a lot I'm you know, working on. And so you need to know it's not you. And if you can just help me by X, Y, and Z, right? Pick up your room. Don't make me tell you to brush your teeth. Like things like that, right? So now I've already confirmed for him before he even asked, it's not you. And I'm telling him, here's what you can do to help me, which actually really is a legitimate help. Um, And so then that keeps me from, from necessarily taking it out on him whenever he would ordinarily come up to me five minutes later, right? And be like, hey mom, can I have some juice?
0: <laughs> or where he feels it was taken out on him, whether, right. whether it was or not. Absolutely,
1: yeah. right? So I think the, the first thing I would say is be aware of your own emotions and it's okay to give that disclaimer, right? It's perfectly okay anytime, but especially in this season to say to your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your parents, your siblings, whoever, right? Your friends, I'm just really stressed right now. And so then they know, first of all, it's not them. And then to be able to ask for what you need in order to deal with it. I need you to just order the groceries because that's one thing I can't handle right now. Right. right? Um, so I think those are are definitely good ways to be able to avoid really hurting your relationships in this season.
0: And what did Mr. Rogers say? Find the helpers. There's always helpers among us. You know, I, I I was reached out to by a nonprofit recently and, and the guy was just telling me sort of all the tough times they were having. And I'd seen some things on Facebook and, and I told him, ask, you have to ask. I mean, I've had some people, you know, hat in hand, ask me for help during this. And if I can, I will, if I can't, I'm gonna tell you, I'm not in a position to right now, but I think it's one of those times where everybody who can help wants to help. And those people that can't help who need help, it's okay to ask, you know, your close friends or your family. I mean, now's the time we're going to all get through this together, but it's, it's sort of a strange thing that some people have a really hard time asking, but if you need it. It's okay to ask.
1: And you know, the funniest thing is, and I am one of those people who has a hard time asking for help as a general rule. Um, But the, the hard thing is, I love it when people ask me for help. And like you said, if I can, I can. If I can, I can't. But most people really love the opportunity to help somebody else. So even if you're not in a position to help somebody financially, maybe you are having to ask. Alone for help, for eggs, for food. You know, maybe you are having to do that. There's still ways you can give back. Um, and that's another great way to cope, right? An interesting thing. So, nursing homes, you know, are on total lockdown. So they don't have any visitors. And there are a lot of elderly people who are now there all by themselves. Here's a quick, easy thing you can do sit down and write letters, make cards. And you can either, if you don't have the money for stamps, then go drive to the closest one and drop it off on the front door. Mail them if you can, right? And then they're able to get these letters, to get these pieces of encouragement. And you'd be amazed the difference that makes. And it helps, it not only helps them, but I think for all of us, we have an internal need to want to give back, to want to do something that's helpful for other people. So I encourage people to do that during this season too, is to, even if you are asking for help in some ways, that's great. Feel free to ask for help in some ways and feel free to offer help in ways that you can help.
0: I, uh, you see all this stuff on social media and all those gratitude makes, you know, rewires your brain or it changes the way you think, but it's really kind of, I mean, you know, me, I'm stubborn as a mule (laughs) and, you know, you're not going to change most of what I think, but I've realized that as I've started doing this podcast and I've done some more social media stuff with our law firm and we've really tried to focus on the positive side of things and the positive things we do. It kind, of re, it kind of changes your perspective. I feel better about life, even in bad times. I mean, times are bad, but you start to almost feel all of these things that you know exist that maybe you've had a hard time feeling. So you're right, sending letters of encouragement probably are going to make you feel better as well.
1: Absolutely, big time. Yeah,
0: you know, I want to, we've got a little bit left, but I want to talk to you about two things. One, I know about your work with LLS um, and I think everybody not LLS the ALS. Uh, and I think everybody who's listening probably understands, um, the Alzheimer's is it ALS
1: Uh, Alzheimer's association.
0: Yeah. Alzheimer's association. Um, y'all had a gala, you were chair of the gala that got put on hold. Um, and you've got a very, very personal story and let's get there in a second, but talk to me about this new charity or nonprofit that you're starting.
1: Yeah. I'm super excited about this. Um, so it is the 42nd warrior battalion and, um, Basically, there are one out of three uh, females are sexually abused by age 18, one out of six males. Um, So on average, we're looking at about one out of 4.5 kids is sexually abused by age 18. And that's not even counting physical abuse, that's not counting emotional abuse, anything like that, right? And there are, I'm never one who wants to reinvent the wheel. There are great charities out there. CASA, you know, CPS does a, a pretty good job of, of once kids come into the system. So there's so many things once kids come into the system out there. But the problem is getting kids into the system. And so, and helping kids make that initial outcry. So a lot of times kids will actually be abused for years and years and years. And before they say anything, if they ever do, only less than one third of people that are abused ever say anything before age 18. And so most abuse never gets reported. A lot of abusers threaten children. They start out when they're very young and they groom them and they basically gain control over them. And then they say, if you ever tell anybody about this, I'm going to kill you or I'm going to kill your mom or I'm going to kill your family, right? Or probably all of the above. Sure. And if you're a kid with your kid brain, you absolutely believe that and you don't believe anybody can protect you. And so you don't ever make that outcry. And a lot of kids then get so ashamed. There's so many factors that go into it that the kids just don't tell. And so What we want is to create an avenue, a safe place where kids can go and tell.
0: And what does that look like structurally? How are you all going to do that?
1: So we want a volunteer in every single school and they will have hours in the school. So let's say, you know, Susie Q and her school between 11 and two, then we have an army member. So the the way this came to be is one of my best friends helped me come up with this analogy that these kids that are being abused, they're warriors. And every warrior needs a good army of people behind them. Right. And so. Um, we had children that we knew that were being abused and we used that analogy and it really just hit home with them so much, right? Because they didn't want anybody to know. They didn't want us to tell anybody. So as we shared that, then they said, Oh, okay. So I have an army and it became a thing, right? We said, okay, you get to pick who's in your army. So it might be you know a non-abusing parent it might be an uncle it might be a teacher it might be detectives it might be cps worker you get to pick who's in your army but these are the people who are going to go and fight for you and we even made t-shirts in our case and it became such a powerful thing for the kids to be able to see these people wearing their army t-shirts right that now okay this person is on my side they're on my team and i have a protector so this person who has abused me for so long and i felt so powerless now i've got this literal army of adults standing behind me who are going to protect me very cool and so that's why we're the 42nd warrior battalion and we want an army member in every school. Yeah. So they will be available between certain hours for kids to come in and make an outcry to. And a big issue that happens all the time I've seen in, in my private practice and in friends that I've known, et cetera, et cetera, is kids will make an outcry to a parent, to an individual, and they'll minimize it. They'll brush it under the rug. They don't really know what to do with it. And it doesn't get handled well, because there's, rec- there's not a handbook on what to do when your kids tell you that they've been abused, right, right. by someone that... And most abuse comes from a family member. And so the Army member is going to walk family members through the next step then. Okay, this is what you do next. And this is how important it is that you advocate for your child right now or for your niece or whatever it is. And this is how you get in the system. And this is how you press forward in this. And this is how you keep your kids safe. And this is how you get them into treatment. So they are really that hand-holding liaison to get them through the system They will also do education Um, in the same way if you remember, you know, that horrible sex education class that you had to endure that was so embarrassing in fifth and sixth grade. Um, The Army members are going to come in and they're going to educate every single class every year on abuse. And this is what's abuse. And guess what? If you're being threatened, I'm in the Army and I'm going to help keep you safe.
0: What's sort of the timeline on this? Is it up and running? Are y'all chartered? Do you have a website, anything? We
1: are, so we have a website, 42 uh, Um, We are still finishing our, we are finished with our 5013C paperwork with the state. We're working on it with the IRS right now. Um, and then we're also going to have t-shirts. So if a random person out there, you know, they just want to show that they are in the fight against abuse, they're in the army, then they can buy a t-shirt. And how cool would it be if you're a kid who's been abused that you go to the mall and you see people when we're allowed to go to the mall again, (laughs) walking around in army t-shirts and you know, they get it and they're in the fight with you.
0: And the volunteers in the schools are going to be trained.
1: Absolutely. So we already have a full curriculum laid out for them for their own training um, and background checks and a whole process that they have to clear. And then we have a curriculum lined out that they'll be giving to classrooms. um, And then we have the training lined out for them that they'll be able to do to adequately walk people through the system have y'all gotten
0: in with any of the school districts yet or you started that process we
1: have started that process okay
0: um is it going to be elementary junior high all the above
1: elementary is where we're focusing right now
0: then you also so i'm going to post the 42 is it 42 warrior 42 yeah. yes. uh, warrior.com sorry 42 warrior.com okay i'll pat i'll post that on our website tell me about your involvement with uh, the alzheimer's association or alzheimer's yeah. association um and and to the extent you feel free to talk about it what got you involved with that and why are you so passionate about it
1: Yeah um so my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's um technically in probably 2013 there was com- some kind of things leading in before that um and so she hasn't known me since 2015 um we had to put her into long-term care at that point I, being a psychologist, was kind of the one that my family looked to to help make those decisions. And I didn't know where to go. So I, somebody thankfully directed me. The Alzheimer's Association has a 24-7-1-800 number that anyone can call and a live person answers. You don't get transferred. These people have three months of training before anyone picks up the phone. So I called the number and my family was in Seattle at the time I called from San Antonio. So San Antonio transferred me to Seattle and said, here's how you can find a place for your mom. Here's what to look for. Here's resources to start. They helped us look at funding and how to be able to, you know, get any kind of assistance to pay for her care down the road if it was needed. Um, They were a priceless resource. They helped us look at caregiver support groups. If my dad was interested in that, if we needed that. So that's how I became involved with the association. And I've just been passionate ever since. How's your mom? She, as I said, she hasn't known me since 2015. Um, She now really doesn't talk. Uh, she is in a wheelchair. She mostly just sleeps about 16 hours a day.
0: She was early onset, right? She was
1: early onset. So this started, so for, for perspective, um, I'm 38 years old. So that means at 33, I essentially lost my mom and she is only 68 now. So that's at 63. She essentially became incapacitated.
0: We've been friends, I think through, through most of this, I mean, it's been a tough deal for you and I'm it's great you're involved. You you were kind of involved with the Alzheimer's Association, yeah. but then in the last year or two, you've really gotten way more involved. What's your role now? And let's just sort of make some assumptions or guess what's going to happen next for the association after the, the shutdown.
1: Yeah. Um, so I will say it truly broke my, I was, I've been on the GALA committee for the last couple of years, a pretty active uh, member with fundraising and donation raising and planning and organizing and things like that. And I volunteered (laughs) to be uh, gala chair this year. And I was honestly, it really hurt my heart. Uh, it was a Kentucky Derby themed gala. um, So I'm very, very sad that it was canceled. Um, Is the money
0: raised kept though? Absolutely. So
1: we are still looking at ways to fundraise. Um, When all this is over, we want to have a socially come back together party (laughs) um, and do some fundraising that way, even though we probably just won't have the planning to be able to do a full gala. There's You know, for an event like that, there's deposits and things like that that we don't want to risk. And so, um, but we are still hoping to have a, a giant 2020 party to keep funding this mission. The Alzheimer's Association is the number one funder of research in the world for the Alzheimer's. Disease,
0: and is it? um, I know you're involved with it locally. Is it breakdown by county or region? How's it work? So
1: we are um, the South Texas branch, which basically encompasses San Antonio, New Braunfels, Carville, kind of like the surrounding areas. So when people donate, they need to know that their money pretty stays pretty locally. And something else I love about the Alzheimer's Association, they have an 86% rate um, of giving, basically. And so when you give, 86 cents on every dollar goes directly to caregivers and research. And only 14 cents goes to overhead and administrative costs.
0: Okay, that's great. I mean, a lot of people look into that before they give money.
1: It's very important.
0: Before we end this, um, what is the website for the Alzheimer's Association for South Texas?
1: ALZ.com backslash San Antonio.
0: Okay, and then... Tell us about Anova. How could people reach out to Anova if they want to check in with y'all for services?
1: Absolutely. Uh, we are definitely open for business. Everything's done through telehealth at the moment, but we take all major insurance. If people need copay assistance, we have some funding for that. Um, it is com, I-N-N-O-V-A, RecoveryCenter.com, or they can call 210-254-3618.
0: And I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to ask you that you'll give us a list of your top tips for dealing with the stress and anxiety of COVID that I'll post on our our website and our social media. Okay. Absolutely. All right. That about does it for this episode of the Alamo Hour. A huge thanks to Dr. Howard for being here and sharing uh, her advice through getting through this as well as her passion. uh, as it relates to some of our nonprofits. Uh, guest wish list continues, Coach Pop, come on. I know we're not big time, but we'll be real nice and you can be mean to me. Um, Robert Rivard, Jackie Earl Haley, we also try to get you on if we ever can. Thank you for joining us and we'll see y'all next episode. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Alamo Hour. You are all what make this city so great. We hope you join us next week. In the meantime, subscribe to our podcast. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash AlamoHour or our website, AlamoHour.com. Until next time, Viva San Antonio!